Hey everyone, welcome again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about movies off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is Clay and with me as always is Amanda. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to smoke some pot and (laughs) read a biography of Ronald Reagan because today... We are talking, I should say half read. That's my favorite part of that, that scene is he's like, yeah. he's just, he's watching, he's got the book up, but he's watching the movie. Yeah. He's just kind of like vibing with it. Yeah. Like he just yeah. wants, he wants the image, the energy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, well, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I feel like. <laughs> As the, if we don't do that often enough. Yeah. The undercurrent of this movie for me is, uh, which I'm, I'm only starting to realize that I appreciate now as I watch it as someone who is two years younger than Craig T. Nelson is in this movie, which made me feel Holy really old. shit. <laughs> is the undercurrent of this movie is uh, parents who are not really ready to be parents yet. <laughs> because he, he like wants to be a parent, and but he's still like, so he's like pretending to read this responsible Ronald Reagan book, but he's also getting high and watching a war movie. Anyway, what are we talking anyway. about? We are talking about 1982's <laughs> Poltergeist, the classic Poltergeist, which is number 137 on our list. Um, huh. Had you seen this before? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. This... a few a few times. This is this is a perennial one that I. Spoiler alert! I don't love this movie. Mm. Same. <laughs> But I so, have I have some scenes and some some sort of bits and pieces that I enjoy. But yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's it's one that I just feel like I have not been able to escape. Yeah, I you know I came to this one actually kind of late. Um, <clears throat> this was uh, when I I never watched this as a kid. I didn't really watch a ton of horror stuff. You know, basically Ghostbusters was it until I was in my teens. And mm. um, so when I finally came around to this, this was one of those ones where friends or whatever saying oh you got to see poltergeist poltergeist is amazing and then when i finally watched it i had like already watched a bunch of other stuff so i was kind of a little bit underwhelmed by this yeah i kind of had a similar like i was also underwhelmed by this but i probably watched it for the first time when i was about 10 Mm, yeah yeah. (laughs) i was still underwhelmed yeah this it's uh i watching it again now i feel like um I can I can appreciate the stuff it does really well, um, mm. and I find it very fascinating from a behind the scenes standpoint for a number of reasons. Yes. Um, and I think it's it is it is the perfect nineteen um, eighties family ghost movie. I think um, whether or not it. I, it, it's, it gets a little bit schmaltzy in certain places and maybe doesn't go as, uh, as, as hardcore as it could at some points, but I don't think it's built to do that. But yeah. um, we'll take a quick break. We'll play the trailer, and then we will talk about it. The house looks just like the one next to it and the one next to that and the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. You are so unlucky. With their three children. (laughs) And something more. Ah! 
remember last night? Do you remember when you woke up and you yes. said you're here? Uh-huh. Well, who did you mean? Who's here? TV people. Something's funny going on here next door. Something, uh... We were wondering if maybe you had experienced any disturbances lately. What kind of disturbances? Poltergeist, 1982, number 137 on our list with an 86% Rotten Tomatoes score. Directed by Toby Hooper, or was it? Written by <laughs> Steven Spielberg and Michael Grays. Yeah, that sounds that sounds good. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Story by Steven Spielberg, starring Craig T. Nelson, Joe Beth Williams, Heather O'Rourke, Dominique Dunn, Zelda Rubenstein, and Billy from Predator. In a very small part, playing I think good. what he's like in his real person. But um, <laughs> that's my fa- my favorite piece of of trivia from Predator, just because it's I mean it's not great, but it's just such a ridiculous piece of trivia. Is that when they were shooting Predator, the guy who played Billy had to have a bodyguard with him at all times to prevent what? him from groping women. <gasps> yeah, he's a total sleazebag. <laughs> Oh wow! So wow, basically, not... the role he, yeah, the role he has in this movie, I think, is very much um, wow. true to him as a person. Unfortunately, oh wow, that's that's intense. Like, I'm not surprised, but that is intense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and if that's not true, I apologize for making it up, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. <laughs> if that's not true, you're about to be sued for libel. So there you go. Ah, nobody listens to this. <laughs> Amanda, what happens in Poltergeist? Well, Clay, strange and creepy happenings beset an average California family, the Freelings. Steve, Diane, teenage Dana, eight-year-old Robbie, and five-year-old Carol Ann, when ghosts commune with them through the television set. Initially friendly and playful, the spirits turn unexpectedly menacing and... When Carol Ann goes missing, Steve and Diane turn to a parapsychologist and eventually an exorcist for help. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Excellent. (laughs) So, Clay, Mm. some things you'll find in this movie include Mm -hmm. perfectly normal clowns that aren't scary in any way. Nope. Nope. Totally fine. Nope. Totally normal. Uh, little people doing big things. Mm-hmm. Always nice to see. 
the world's grossest adult swim. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, the glorious gore of an of a 1980s PG movie. Yep, they're great. It's just blood and guts and everywhere, and it's just <laughs> it as long really as really is. As long as your it's... dad's there, you can be as young as you want. <laughs> uh, contentious director credits. Mm-hmm. And everyone's favorite. Questionable parenting. Indeed, indeed. This is like a, for real. Yeah, it's a big questionable parenting movie. <laughs> yeah, this one this one ticks that bingo square a couple times. This is questionable parenting, but this is like well intentioned questionable parenting. Like they're just trying to do the best yeah. that they can. And that's what I mean. Like I don't <laughs> I think they're doing their best, but they aren't like really ready to be the be like responsible parents. <laughs> Well, when you when you when you look at the kids, the kids is ages like Dana is what, 15, 16? What did yeah, I say? 16. Yeah. So how old do you think the parents in this are? Probably like mid to late 30s. Yeah. Um, Craig T. Nelson's 38. Uh, he, well, he goes he says his, he says his, their ages of everybody in the family when he goes to meet the uh, the shitty Ghostbusters. And he ah. I, he says his wife is like thirty two, so which is insane, right? Which so apparently, <laughs> I mean, if you do the math, yeah, that means that they had their first daughter when she, when she was very young. However, yes, apparently in the novelization, uh, they make they make it clear that uh, Diane is actually his second wife, and that um, his, oh. the daughter is from a previous marriage. I think that's dumb because I think that kind of breaks the whole kind of idea of this. Not obviously, you know, remarrying is is fine. The families are great. It's not. It's not less of a family. But like, th- this is such a like the the setting for this is such a a uh, a singular singular family. Like this is the first first go around for everybody involved. F- feel at least it feels that way. That I think making making it be like a second marriage kind of takes away from that. So I'm like I'm much more interested subtextually if he and his wife just had a kid really young. Yeah, yeah. I find I find that narratively like more interesting and mm. character development wise, it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't I don't like that. Because it just feels like, especially if you try to apply that to the to the movie, it just feels so arbitrary. Like, right? It doesn't uh, add anything. Yeah, yeah, and and that, not not to say that it would be like a negative thing to show like a blended family right, or whatever right. you want to say. Like that's that's awesome, but I don't know. That just feels like a weird thing to make a point of including. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't add anything in my opinion. Yeah, cuz I mean even if uh even if it is his daughter from a previous marriage, he still had that daughter pretty young in his life. He's only 38 and she's 16. So Yeah. It's it's a fairly fairly uh young young child to have. Um Absolutely. But yeah, I I I like it more if it's just you know, they they were had had their first daughter young and they kind of were thrust into parenthood quickly and they're kind of because it kind of feels that way like the way the whole uh they're living in this like subdivision uh suburbs 
very, very intensely suburban place. The, the movie, this movie should be called Suburbs colon Poltergeist because it's, <laughs> you know, the way it opens with the end of day broadcast and American uh, uh, national anthem, which is, uh, it's funny, we were watching this with some friends group chatting <laughs> and I was surprised at how many people didn't realize that was a thing that used to happen. Oh, that was just me. No, it was Pat too. Pat didn't. Oh, no, Pat I'm sorry. Too. No, Meredith. Pat knew Meredith. Okay. Didn't. And I don't okay. know if Caitlin right. knew either. Right. I can't remember. But it was one of those. <laughs> so I wasn't alone. Is no, what you're saying. But it was just okay. one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's something that just doesn't happen anymore because now television is eternal and on all the time. Yeah, I had no idea. I th- I thought that TV just always sort of devolved into like reruns and uh like commercials that are trying to sell you shit like i had no idea that that at some point in the fairly recent past like networks would just go off air after Mm. this very um aggressively patriotic (laughs) like montage of monuments with the i think like the star spangled banner Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. playing over it it was to me extremely bizarre yeah, and it's probably I shouldn't expect that many people to remember that that are you know our age because the only reason I knew it was a thing is because I saw it in movies from this era. <laughs> Cause, oh, because <laughs> they, they they it's in uh, it happens in Back to the Future three I think at the beginning of Back to the Future three and like oh, it, okay. it's one of those it's one of those conventions that pops up in cartoons and stuff and it, it that uh, just doesn't make any sense anymore. But um, it is the first thing of many things that grounds this movie very firmly in the suburbs. Uh, you've also, you've got the subdivision housing, uh, yes. the dad and his buddies being obsessed with quote unquote, the game. Yes. Um, the mom <laughs> humming. I, I don't know why this stood out to me, but when she's going through the daughter's like tidying up uh, where she finds the dead bird, uh-huh. she's humming a beer jingle. And I don't know why that stood out oh, to me wow. as like a very, just you know blue collar suburbs thing but it did huh i never i I would not have caught that that's that's a really interesting point yeah and it all it, it's like that setting is 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 very interesting because you know as i was saying you know young family uh the father is this uh, salesperson for the the subdivision uh, land developers and stuff and it's it it, it 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 all feels very much sort of like um, tumbled into, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think he was probably ho- planning on being a uh, salesperson for a land developer when he was growing up. <laughs> yeah, probably not. That That's interesting, though. Like, I, I don't want to derail too much into the sort of like thematic and theoretical stuff. Well, I mean, too early on what what you come to what you come to a podcast about poltergeist for <laughs> is uh, the breakdown of the family unit in the 80s and also uh, going off into subtextual themes that have nothing to do with ghosts. So please go ahead. (laughs) Okay, good. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm totally jumping the gun. We haven't talked about any of the actual like paranormal activity. Mm -hmm. But this is all really interesting because it's kind of drawing together for me something I think I didn't really think about when I've seen this movie in the past which is like if you ground it really thoroughly in the era it takes place in and the sort of like version of America 
it takes place in, mm-hmm. it makes the rest of it much more interesting. Mm. Yeah. Like there's this like, because, you know, we live in a society where the uh, sort of social mandate that we all receive from a very young age is that you're going to grow, you're going to go to school, you're going to grow up, uh, you're going to meet somebody preferably of the opposite sex, mm-hmm. uh, get married, have children, live in a suburb, work at a job or a company for 40 years and then retire. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, what you're going to do is you're going to watch sports and TV and like drink your beer and mow your lawn and mm. make a swimming pool in the backyard for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. So this movie really does give you this really interesting, like, let's take all of the cliched, quintessential American dream style stuff from the 80s and actually put it all together and then show these, like, kind of flaky, kind of deeply flawed parents who are, like, I mean, pretty believable in yeah. in, in my opinion, like... The fact that they don't seem to know exactly what they're doing and, and, and they do mess up and they are well-meaning, but they're also not infallible and they're not right. perfect. And yeah, you're just, you add that and then the aspect of the fact that the evil literally comes out of the TV. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can read a lot into it about like commercialism and like the role of television and media in shaping our like experiences you can get real real philosophical i think you could but i think unfortunately it it doesn't go as deep as you want it to because yeah my (laughs) my biggest problem with this movie is everything you said is absolutely correct it's got all of this zeitgeisty american dream type stuff in it but it's not commenting on it at all it's just it's just there like there's no yeah no one the ghost experience does not really change anybody it it, like they don't learn nobody (laughs) learns anything they don't learn to become better parents or anything it's all very much like a loving family uh who aren't perfect but they all love each other uh get into this jam and they love each other very much through the jam and eventually they make it through and that's the end of the movie Au contraire, Clay, Mm -hmm. at the end of the movie, they are in a motel room and they put the TV outside. Yeah. Okay, sure. So one (laughs) one comment. (laughs) But but you know what I mean, though? It's like there's... Did you know the television is bad? Mm, Yes. (laughs) But like, you know what I mean? There's there's no... Yeah, Yeah, um, I do. There's no real character change. Uh, The... uh, as as the story goes on, everybody's kind of on the same wavelength, and I and I don't I don't necessarily yeah. think you need to have like oh this family's falling apart or something, but it's just I don't know it just uh, it kind of it kind of loses loses that extra little bit of zip that I think it could have if the uh, the poltergeist episode that they live through somehow. Uh, changes them or brings them together as a closer family or something like that. I don't know. Or make some sort of comment on all of these things that they're presenting to you. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Cause as you were saying it, I was kind of thinking back to your little like trivia bit about the novelization saying that 
uh, this was his second wife. Mm -hmm. uh, And his older daughter was like kind of a daughter from the first marriage. That would have been something that was would have been actually kind of interesting to play with if you were going to go that route Mm -hmm. of like maybe this whole experience, maybe give the older because because Dana, who's the teenage daughter, kind of disappears in this movie. She is the smartest horror movie character I've ever seen in my life, because <laughs> as soon as shit starts happening, she's just like, I'm going to go she's stay like, at my friends for like yeah, a month Yeah, yeah, she's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> but like, you could have done something where maybe instead of it being like, like you were saying, this movie starts with a family where they all seem to like love each other. Uh, and then it ends with a family that all see that seems to love each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe if you had done something where like the teenage, the older daughter is feeling kind of out of place, like this woman is not my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these, you know, my younger siblings are like their full siblings and I'm a half sister and like I'm older and I have a different mom and I had a different childhood and this isn't fair. Like, you could have done done this movie in a way where maybe she played more of a role in helping getting her little sister back mm. or protecting her younger brother that would then sort of do the whole full arc of like healing the family unit. Do right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, you know, since this movie, I mean, the main characters of this movie are the parents, really. And oh, yeah. I, I think you probably could lean into this idea that they are even though they're three kids deep at this point they aren't totally ready to be parents <laughs> three kids deep <laughs> sorry yeah you know they are they are still not fully formed parents you know because they're still uh, you know they're making mistakes they're smoking weed on weekdays yeah. or whatever like you could use this uh thing they go through as a way that's like okay Craig T. Nelson, he's a dad, but now at the end of the movie, this thing has made him become a father. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but it's not, it doesn't really lean into that. And I, it's it's interesting when, we, when we'll get into talking about the behind the scenes stuff a little bit. Uh, I wonder how much of those, those sharper edges got smoothed out um, because <laughs> of the people involved. But uh, yeah. Well, I was just I'm sorry. Gonna... I... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say it's it's interesting because I feel like a lot of the potential storylines for the family that we're kind of throwing out there feel a little bit. It, it, it's funny because in some movies you would you would watch a movie with some of these plot lines and be like, oh yeah, but that's so cliche. Sure. Um, but it's but it's it's interesting because it does give the family an emotional depth and a conflict to resolve beyond just, oh no, ghosts. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that adds a level of like emotional investment for you as an audience member that this movie is kind of lacking. So it leaves this movie feeling a little cold in the end. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got all of the hallmarks of a, a 1980s uh, Steven Spielberg produced movie about a family. Uh, where the music swells and everybody hugs at the end, but there's not, yeah. there's not a lot of um, real, <laughs> real adversity or or real uh, character growth going on. Yeah, it's got that nice, uh, that that nice Toby Hooper emotional disconnect. <laughs> <laughs> I well, I wish there was more Toby <laughs> Hooper in this movie personally. But, I do too, honestly. I love him. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> 
Uh, but I do want to say, all that aside, um, Craig T. Nelson is probably, for me anyway, one of the top five dad actors of all time. Because he's just like, everything about him when he plays a dad is just so genuine in its like awkwardness and kind of goofiness, but not going over the top with it. He's just really a genuine dad character. See, he is he is one of those actors that, for me, I feel like I am just ever so slightly young enough that I don't recognize him at all. Like, sure, he's so ubiquitous. I know he's been in like a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. but it's all just like faded into the background of my early childhood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he just blends into every every actor who played a dad between <laughs> the years like 1980 and 1994. Well, it's funny because I, you know, th- this. Mo- I- this has never been a favorite of mine, so it's not something I watch frequently. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like, oh yeah, Craig T. Nelson, he's the dad, yeah, sure. But the the movie, <laughs> the movie for me that cemented him as one of the great dad actors is actually The Incredibles, because he plays uh, Mr. Incredible, and he does such a great performance of that character, uh, just the vocal performance, and it just reads as such a, a, a quintessential dad, that uh, that plus plus poltergeist to me puts him in the in the in the top 10 at least all right i see it um so this movie has a good start the uh the gags at the beginning are good the uh that that when the ghost starts showing up the chair um the chair stuff man i would love to know how long it took them to get that stacked chair gag because i counted there's no cut in that and they don't do any trickery. Um, they shoot the table with the chairs on the ground, and then they pan over, and seven seconds later, they pan back, and those chairs are stacked up on the table. So even even if most likely that, I mean, almost definitely, that stack is all one big piece, and they just put it on top of the table. But even then, you still got to get probably six guys in there to move a cha- move chairs out as quickly as possible and then reposition this thing on a table in seven seconds that's unbelievable well so i'm I'm glad you followed this up with what you did because i was going to ask you so do you want me to ruin it for you please do <laughs> well no no you already you already hit on it which is that the, the stacked chairs are one cohesive yeah piece uh and that's that's pretty much at least from what I what I read, that's pretty much how they do it. Is that it's already assembled and they can just run in and. I still throw think it it's, I still think it's very impressive. Oh, absolutely! <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, that stuff is great. Um, and once the ghosts start getting more aggressive, there's some good stuff. Like my my favorite bit in this well, more or less my favorite bit in this movie has always been that uh, bit in the middle with the. Um, guy with the glasses who uh, is eating the steak that starts exploding with maggots and then oh, he ends yeah. up tearing his own face off. The <laughs> yes. first time I watched this, I was already into like watching more stuff like that. You know, I think I was probably watching yeah. zombie movies and all that kind of stuff, more harder edge stuff. And so this movie was fairly didn't really do it for me until that scene. And I was like, okay, now we're talking. Now this is yeah, a movie. you're like, here we go, okay. Yeah. And then it pulls it way back again. It's just like, oh, damn it. Yeah, and it's, I think it's that middle part that really kind of drags it down for me because 
I understand now why uh, Venkman, Stance, and Spengler thought ghostbusting was a viable <laughs> career option or franchise <laughs> option because the pe- the guys they hire in this movie don't know what's going on. And um, yeah, just all the stuff with the, the paranormal investigators in the middle is just kind of, I don't know, it really kind of drags the movie down, I think. I agree. So, so to back up a little bit, sure. I will say... Um, Part of my notes commented on how I had kind of forgotten how effective the beginning sequence of this movie is, Mm. where you just sort of get the house and, um, you know, the the dog, who, in my opinion, is the best actor in the movie. I I never appreciated Um, that the opening scene is the (laughs) dog going person to person looking for food to eat. It's my favorite thing. And when I when I say I think the dog is the best actor in this movie, it is not. I am not trying to insult the human. No, he's very good. Or she's he's very just good. that good. Yeah. <laughs> um But it is so effective that you you get sort of introduced to each of the characters in this really sort of subtle way where they're all like they're all asleep and they're in different positions. And their rooms kind of say something about them, mm-hmm. even even only a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it shows you sort of like, here's the whole family asleep, safe, feeling safe in their house. And I like that setup. I like that it sets them all up like in that in that way where they're sort of oblivious and they feel safe and they think they're safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um and then it surprised it surprised me how creepy I found little Carol Ann talking to the TV. Mm, yeah, like I didn't. Maybe it's because I'm getting older, and so now like I'm old enough that I have friends who have kids who are her age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I can imagine like if I were staying at one of my friends' houses and I woke up to their daughter doing that, I would be like, <laughs> "Oh fuck." Like, we are so screwed. Um, but I liked, I really liked that. I really liked that sort of, like, it's just, like, subtle and eerie, and you're only getting her side of the conversation, but you can kind of, like, interpret what the ghosts are saying to her. I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah, it's 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 creepy that they're talking to her like a guy, like a guy try on the street trying to get her to go into a van or something. Because they're, clear, yeah! they're clearly asking her what her name is. And how old she yeah. is and yeah it's it's pretty creepy yeah it really when you think about it it really is and then like <clears throat> and then it's such a letdown when it pivots to this weird like i don't know they're like their daytime life is just so strange to me mm-hmm. um like even even the the dana that the daughter she's trying to go to school in the morning the guys digging the pool are like cat calling her and being really like crude and everything and the mom is watching out the window and she's yeah, like yeah. <laughs> oh how funny and it's like no no mm-hmm. if if that were your daughter wouldn't you be like hey you fucking assholes leave her alone yeah yeah they they uh they let those construction guys get away with a lot because later on in that scene one of them is like stuck his head through the window in the kitchen and is yeah, T- stealing coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very bizarre. There's this like period of this movie where it feels like everybody involved forgot what like a normal family is like. Yeah, yeah. And then just tried to like wing it. Yeah, 
there's yeah, I don't there's know. a few weird scenes in this. Like I I've, I've watched this a couple times and I still don't totally understand what's going on in the scene where after they discover the floor thing, like she shows uh Steve the floor thing. And um, uh-huh. then they go to the neighbor's house and they're like swatting mos- swatting mosquitoes away <laughs> and yes. like laughing maniacally about something <laughs> like they're high. And then they're asking him if, if his appliances are moving. And then they it's just a very strange scene. It It is. And it kind of like so that was actually going to be I was thinking trying to figure out a way to have that be one of the. uh things you'll find in this mm. movie include um at the top of this episode where i was like uh neighbors who are impervious to mosquitoes yeah like what i i was thinking about it and i was like is this supposed to be like the suburban equivalent of like you know how in amityville horror all the flies start showing up and they start swarming yeah, the house yeah. and stuff is it supposed to be like oh the, the bugs are swarming them because they're because there's ghosts involved. I don't know. I couldn't really. And since it's the suburbs, it's mosquitoes. It's not flies. I don't know. I couldn't really <laughs> figure it out. So so the thing I thought, I thought what it was trying to do was, like, part of it is it's obviously supposed to be, like, humorous. It's supposed to be played for laughs a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, But I kind of think maybe it was trying to like show you what these two parents would look like to their neighbors coming over and asking like, have your appliances been moving around on their own? What's your kitchen like? Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's trying to show you like, Oh yeah, they are kind of fuck ups. Like the neighbors kind of know that they like to get high and let their kids run amok a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so like, this is how they're seen by their much more, staid and traditional suburban neighbors but it it's almost not played like slapsticky enough for that right yeah yeah and it's that's such a i don't know i don't i don't feel like the point of view shifts enough for no, to, it, to it, support that yeah it doesn't but i can't figure out another reason you would have this scene yeah yeah like i'm i'm grasping at straws yeah very much and uh i you know i do like I like the time jump element. Once, uh, once Carolyn gets sucked into the TV, they jump forward. I don't know how a couple weeks or something to yeah. um, to Stephen meeting with the paranormal investigators, and I like how haggard he looks and all that kind of stuff. But again, it's like the family dynamic hasn't changed at all. It's not like the family is fraying because of this. It's just they haven't slept very well. So when they come over yeah. to the house, it's not like Stephen and Diane are at odds with each other or like really short with each other because it's so stressful and the kid is crying or whatever. It's just it's just kind of like a more tired version of the normal family. So it's yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The big the biggest difference you get is like, well, Dana's been staying at her friend's house a lot, mm. and um. I don't know. Ro- Robbie went from willing to climb this really high tree to to not <laughs> like. Right. That's it. Yeah. And yeah, the, the 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 I generally like paranormal investigation sequences and stuff like that. 
And I don't, Me too. I don't hate it in this. I like when they're actively doing the work and, you know, you get that scene where the, the ghost, they're videotaping and they can see the ghost people and stuff. And that's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, it's just something about that middle part. Just, it kind of slows everything down. And then could, could you, could you possibly mean the part where they're whispering? Yeah. Where they, where they just whisper for 20 minutes. <laughs> it, it is like, it is like 20 minutes of whispering. This it's it's time, too much. This is the time where we talk about the themes of the movie. <laughs> and in order to do that, we have to be very quiet so people know to pay attention about what the themes of this movie are. We're going to make an emotional connection right now. And what the themes are is that it's about <laughs> death and losing people and crossing over. Even though that's, not, even though that's not really expressed in any way meaningfully with the characters. <laughs> It's so annoying. You know, I had I had actually thought before we had started this this podcast, like the show as a, as a whole, I was thinking yes. like should we do a horror movie podcast that does the review entirely in whispers? Would we like be a big hit with the <laughs> ASMR crowd if we just just talked about poltergeist in the quietest terms like we were talking like we didn't want to wake the parents up or anything? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's a market for that. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think there is. And I think if there is, I don't want it. <laughs> and in between talking, I could just I could just scratch the microphone because people seem to like that for some reason. <laughs> Everybody, uh, of, of the few people who listen to our podcast, any of them who don't like ASMR are never coming back. Well, the this. reason I thought about that as a concept is because I like to listen to stuff when I go to sleep. I like to listen to podcasts. And I was like, hmm. would I listen to a horror movie podcast where the person was just talking in a very low, very calm tone about the horrible things that happened in Texas Chainsaw Massacre? And I was like, you know what? I probably would. You know, that is different than whispering. That's though. true. That's a good point. The whispering, would I would not. Like, your nice, soothing radio voice pitch low. I, I could <laughs> handle that. But the whispers, I, I would not. That's fair. Um... <laughs> so after after that kind of whispery scene, the paranormal yes. investigators leave and uh, they come back with reinforcements, which their yes. reinforcements being probably the most famous element from this movie, or I should say the most memed element element or pop culture element next to yes. uh, when the ghosts originally show up and she turns around and Caroline says, oh, they're here next they're to that. Here is Zelda Rubenstein showing up and being the cleaner. Um, I love her. She's great. However, she's my favorite part of this movie. I don't understand why anyone thinks that she has any idea what's going on or how to fix anything. Cause everything she tells them to do is completely made up on the spot. <laughs> like they, she starts like they're talking about, uh, the light and she's like go to the light go to the wait don't go to the light no don't stay away from the light don't even look at it okay now go to <laughs> no, it no 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 that's a trick on, it's, on it's who suppo- it's so she's using she's pretty much using Carol Ann as bait oh she's using Carol Ann as bait and she's telling Carol Ann run towards the light because she knows all these spirits are going to follow her and if they get close enough, they'll go into the light. And if they tell Carolyn at the last minute to stop and not go in, 
then the ghosts will go in, but she'll stay out. So this is like a Wile E. Coyote situation where she's running yes. running towards the ledge, and she has to stop before the ledge and hope that they just keep running. Yes. Carol Ann is hopefully the roadrunner. I see. That's interesting. Yes. Yes. It's still... So that that's at least how I see it. But still, yes, I, I, I agree that you've gone from... You, you, go, you go from the paranormal investigators who really don't know what's going on mm-hmm. to uh, Tan, <laughs> Tangina. Is that is her it name? Is it Tangina? <laughs> I think it's Tangina. Now I have to look. <laughs> you have to look. I'm pretty sure it's Tangina. It is Tangina. Good call. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um... Uh, yeah, then you get Tangina, who knows at least something? Yeah. Probably, maybe? It's just strange to me where it's like, that whole sequence at the end is just so, uh, they start throwing tennis balls through the portals and stuff, and <laughs> this is all stuff they could have done before, but they, I, and then ultimately it's just, what I what I do think is, is cute is that uh, what they end up doing is um, exactly what the, the son says in the whispery scene uh, because they're whispering about what's going on and he says something to the effect of what if what if you just tied a rope around me and i just ran in and got her or something like that which is ultimately what they end up doing oh that actually is kind of sweet yeah i missed that i like that but see like i actually i really like that sequence Mm -hmm. like i actually think my favorite sequence is that that portion where they're going into her room uh, with Tangina and they're doing the whole like throwing the, the balls through and then they eventually decide they're going to send the mom in and like the dad, like his wife is in there and his daughter's in there and he starts panicking and freaking out and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, you're pulling the rope too soon or, or whatever. Like, I actually think like suspense wise, that was really effective yeah, yeah. And, like, the emotional payoff of you of them both coming out was really great. Like, I really like that sequence. It's it's most of the movie between the very beginning and that portion that I don't like. Mm. <laughs> like yeah. Well, I like that. And then when she's in the uh, half-dugout pool filled with skeletons. Well, getting to that, I think <laughs> that sequence that you just described, uh, the Tangina suspense sequence... Um, <laughs> Is is uh, is very indicative of the interesting behind the scenes question about who directed this movie because mm. um, Steven Spielberg producer, story by and co screenwriter director Toby Hooper from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, if you so watch if you watch these two movies back to back, this one doesn't really feel like a Toby Hooper movie. <laughs> and there has for 30 something say. years yeah there has for 30 something years been this rumor conjecture whatever you want to call it that Steven Spielberg actually directed most of the movie and while i want to give toby hooper the benefit of the doubt um every single shot in this movie looks like it comes from a steven spielberg movie so it's kind of hard <laughs> at the very least if Toby directed it, I feel like Steven had a lot of notes. Um, yeah. And I, you know, the, I, looking it up, well, I should say, I think the disconnect is interesting because if you look at, at the at the movie that's being portrayed here, it does feel like you can see where each 
guy kind of got more pull because between the the end of the the Zelda Rubenstein sequence, it's like that happens. That's the big Spielberg climax, and then it's like Toby Hooper just waits for Dad to leave. Yeah, and then once Dad leaves, he's like, okay. <laughs> Now let's do the ending where the bodies come up out of the ground. You know, it's it's yeah. and uh the face ripping thing feels like him. Yes, it does. So it's uh it's it's a tough question uh and based on this is only I'm just going to read the IMDb IMDb trivia because I'm not a seasoned journalist and I don't take my work seriously. <laughs> Surprise everyone. <clears throat> it says when questioned about who had the greater control over this film, Steven Spielberg or Toby Hooper, Spielberg replied Spielberg replied, Toby isn't a take charge sort of guy. If a question was asked and an answer wasn't immediately forthcoming, I'd jump in and say what we could do. Toby would nod agreement, and that became the process of our collaboration. Co-producer Frank Marshall (laughs) spoke out to the press and claimed, quote, the creative force of the movie was Steven. Toby was the director and was on set every day, but Steven did the design for every storyboard and was only absent for three days during the shoot because he was in Hawaii with George Lucas. Hooper later claimed that he did half of the storyboards. Spielberg then sent a letter to Hooper to clarify matters, saying, quote, regrettably, some of the press has misunderstood the rather unique creative relationship you and I shared throughout the making of Poltergeist. I enjoyed your openness in allowing me, as a writer and a producer, a wide berth for creative involvement. Just as I know you were happy with the freedom you had to direct Poltergeist so wonderfully. Through the screenplay, you accepted a vision of this very intense movie from the start, and as the director, you delivered the goods. You performed responsibly and professionally throughout, and I wish you great success on your next project, end quote. Zelda Rubenstein disagreed. While Hooper set up the shots, Spielberg would make adjustments, and in regards to meeting him for her audition, said Hooper was, quote, only partially there. The issue, then, of who had creative control over this film is still a muddy issue even today. So, is it, though? Yeah. I, yeah it sounds to me, <laughs> if I had to hazard a guess, it sounds to me like Steven Spielberg wanted to make this movie Poltergeist, but he didn't have time to direct it. So he hired Toby Hooper, who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre, great horror director, yep. to do this, and... Um, couldn't really let it go yeah and him being steven spielberg creator of jaws uh indiana jones close encounters of the third kind and the director being Topi hooper director of texas chainsaw massacre and pretty much nothing else anybody has really seen let's be honest i mean i've seen it Mm -hmm. but i don't think most people have (laughs) um i'm gonna say he probably might have felt a little bit I, I bet Steven's thumb was on the scale quite a bit, and how do you tell Steven Spielberg to go fuck himself, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear when you watch this who, like, set the tone. Yes, yeah. Of this film. And to be honest, I would love to see just the pure Toby Hooper version of this. Mm. Like... I would find that really interesting to be able to compare the two. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that was the other strike I, I kind of felt like he had against him though is yeah. Toby Hooper made Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but like, I don't really know if he's, if he's really done anything else that I would call a classic, unfortunately. <laughs> um, 
So what does Toby Hooper's Poltergeist look like? I don't know if it would be a better movie. <laughs> I honestly can't I say. Don't, I, yeah, I'm not necessarily saying it would be better, sure, but I, sure. I just think it would be really interesting. I think they should do a Zack Snyder style thing where they oh, hire him God. to finish the movie the way that he intended. He can go back and he can get the masters and we can cut it. He can shoot new footage. Oh, wait, he can't because he's dead and half the people in this movie died like a year after they shot it. So <laughs> that brings us into the cursed element of this movie that everybody likes I, to talk that, about. I really wanted to talk about that. Like, do you believe in the curse? Um, if there was ever a movie that was actively cursed, this is probably up there on the list. Because yeah. uh, uh, you've got um, Dominique, Dominique Dunn, who played the older daughter. She was murdered by her boyfriend in 1982. This is the only movie she ever did. Yep. Um, Heather O'Rourke, who played uh, Carol Ann, died a few years later during the filming of, I think, the second one. I think it was the, the third. third one. Yeah. Um, and uh, on top of that, there was another guy in this movie who I couldn't recognize by the character name. His name was uh, Bugsy. No, I'm sorry. Not Bugsy. Um <laughs> Pugsley. That's what it was. Pugsley. What? Uh, really? Yeah. I think he might be a, a, a background character. He might be one of the guys um, watching the game. He was ah. he was killed. He was killed with an axe by a 26-year-old man uh, when he was 67. Holy shit. Yeah. And on top of that, all of the skeletons they used in the skeleton sequence at the end, real skeletons. Is that is that true? It is true. Yes. Okay, because I had heard that and was like, yeah, there's no fucking way that's true. That's insane. Yeah, I saw. Well, it kind of makes sense when you hear the the, the special effects guy talk about it because he <laughs> he said, uh, "I really want to make a joke." Are they all from India? Uh, kind of. Yeah, I think we had <laughs> talked about this. Um, <laughs> after we had done Return of the Living Dead, they make that joke about the the skeleton farms in India. Yes. Yes. And uh, I had watched Shudder has this great series they do called Cursed Films where they talk about these movies that supposedly have curses and, you know. Shudder, you should call us. I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the the circumstances around the curses and whether or not they are quote unquote real or whatever. And the Poltergeist mm-hmm. episode, they talk to the uh, special effects guy and he confirms that, yeah. They used real skeletons because trying to fabricate 35 skeletons would be incredibly expensive and very hard. Holy shit. (laughs) Because the human skeleton is very difficult to create and make look right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, they bought a bunch of skeletons. And after after I watched that, I I think I texted you and I was like, I think that joke in Return of the Living Dead is a direct shot at Poltergeist. I think you did. I think you did tell me that. I'm remembering that now. So, yeah, the the skeletons that you see are skeletons with um, that they purchased real skeletons that they put, uh, you know, gore effects on and stuff like that. So all of those things combined, I'd say you've got a recipe for a cursed movie. Definitely. Yeah. Now I'm wondering if my, uh, you know how I have a giant tattoo on my leg? Mm-hmm. Uh, the skull in my tattoo is, it's uh, pretty much a real human, like my, the tattoo artist has a real human skull. Sure. And that is what is tattooed on my leg. Yeah. So maybe my tattoo is cursed. It's very possible. <laughs> I have a cursed leg. That's great. I mean, if you can get it to work for you. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what we can do about you know, like torrential downpours and uh, carnivorous trees. Yeah. <laughs> so how do, how do you feel about the concept of of cursed films? I you know, I I find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't fully buy into it, but at the same time, like I I want to. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like I love the concept. I love hearing about like like um. This isn't exactly cursed, and I'm sure we'll get to this at some point. But you know, the uh, the suspected serial killer who is the is like a background character in The Exorcist. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Like there's that whole that whole thing. Like I I find that kind of stuff fascinating. Mm. Like when you're watching these movies to find out like the the background or not even background, but what, what happens to some of these actors or the people who work on them. When you have a grouping like you do with Poltergeist, it does start to make you think, like, yeah. you know, just what are the odds? What are I, I'm? It's possible, but the odds are very slim. Mm. Well, the thing that I always find interesting is, you know, and I on this show on Shutter, I think multiple people have s- said this, where they're like, well, you know, it's not that the films are cursed because that doesn't happen. It's just that because of the kind of films we were making, you're predisposed to put those pieces together because of, you know, occult stuff and blah, 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 blah. It's like, sure, yes, that's a perfectly reasonable explanation. However, mm. it's not like there's there's not like there's behind the scenes stories about like how to lose a guy in ten days where one of the grips <laughs> is a serial killer and the the person who played the best friend was murdered by her boyfriend you know it's a, it's like it seems to only happen with these types of movies it's not like the romantic comedy industry has three or four movies where a bunch of people died after they made them and someone got struck by lightning and if they do they don't talk about it <laughs> yeah well i w- i wonder if that's that's part of it like like a twofold thing of on the one hand especially with horror movies from like the 80s and earlier um, are you getting more people who are sort of, I don't want to say predisposed to murder or being murdered, but like people were a lot out- more e- easily murdered in the eighties, I think is what you're getting at, right? If you were born <laughs> before 1984, true. way higher chance you were going to be killed. <laughs> Probably. Um, but, but just that like you're, you're getting less of the stereotypical, like quote, like Hollywood people, mm-hmm. you're getting more people who are just they're going to appear in just this movie or they're, they're doing it as a favor for a friend or they're just an extra who happens to be like, I feel like you get more of that in horror movies. Mm, Um, And then my other point was going to be that maybe horror movies do make a point of talking about it more because it is, it is a good marketing ploy. Yeah. Like callously enough. Yeah. 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 I, it's, um, I think you do get into uh, areas where you're really pushing the boundaries of good taste when you do that stuff. Um, yeah. I know that when on the Poltergeist episode of, of uh, Cursed Films, they were talking about the third movie and how they were um, very hesitant to finish the movie because uh, – sorry, Poltergeist 3 uh, when, mm. when uh, Carol Ann died. Because of mm-hmm. that thing where it's like, ugh, we have to do a lot of stuff that isn't her. Yeah. Are we, 
are we are we doing this just because of insurance reasons where we have to make sure we make our money back or are we really doing this because we're we want to finish the film for her you know it it gets it can get kind of dicey when you when you get into that stuff yeah especially in her case where she was so young yeah yeah like that she was very much still a child right oh yeah yeah it was 1988 so she was only a couple years older than she was in the first one yeah yeah, so that that adds a whole other layer of just, you know, you you have to question sort of your motivations and the ethics behind it. Yeah, it's 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 a lot different than like ah yeah, our star drank himself to death halfway through the movie, so we got to finish the movie now, and yeah, we'll dedicate <laughs> it to him. But honestly, we're kind of pissed off. It's like everybody who's making the movie is is fine. It's but the star of your movie, who's this child, has died, and it feels kind of gross that you just continue. Yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah. Um, the music in this movie is by Jerry Goldsmith, great composer. He's done a million things that you'd know. He's done uh, Star Trek. He He's the one who wrote the theme for The Next Generation, which they used in the first Star Trek oh. movie. Uh, Alien, Predator, a, a million other things. Um, great. St- another, another reason why it feels like a Spielberg movie is – it feels like a stand-in for a John Williams score. Like it's very similar. It's, <laughs> it, does. it feels more John Williamsy than it does Jerry Goldsmith to me. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's about it for the movie itself. Um, placement on the list. This is as of recording. This is uh, num- num- number number. <laughs> One hundred and thirty-seven. How do you feel about that ranking? Because this is, despite the fact that we don't particularly love it, this is considered a classic. Yeah. So this one is kind of tough for me because, as you said, I don't really love it. Like there are certain pieces of it that I enjoy, Mm -hmm. and and I can understand why it became such a. I mean, I feel like everything Steven Spielberg touches becomes like a zeitgeisty kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Especially between the years of 1977 and 1995. Yeah. And I I feel like somebody somebody said to me that this is like like the, the mirror version of E.T. almost. It kind of is, yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I get it, but I... There are so many movies higher higher up on this list, as in closer to 200, mm-hmm. that I just find to be better scary movies. Sure. Like, Paranormal Activity mm-hmm. is, like, in the 140s, I think. Yeah, 146. Um, That's another thing that, I, that we didn't really talk about, I think is an interesting question. Do you find this movie to be scary? I don't. Yeah. Like at all, like, I th- I think <laughs> I think the closest thing that comes that that comes to it is that scene with um oh god I'm blanking on he's one of the investigators you were talking about him earlier he's in he's in the oh, bathroom he starts pulling right, his own yeah. face off mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think that's the closest thing to a genuinely scary scene in this whole movie I think everything else there's there's sort of suspense there's a lot of suspense there's a lot of you know you want this sweet little girl to be okay Mm -hmm. you're rooting for the mom you want you want this family to make it through this 
but there's not even when the skeletons are coming up in the in the the pool that's been dug like visually yes that's a very like classic horror image of like you know oh the dead bodies are rising up and she's terrified and the you know the beautiful woman screaming in distress but it's like visually disturbing but it's not scary right yeah this Uh, movie does feel like it's like if if two writers got together to write a book like a horror book a ghost story and one writer really liked henry james and the other writer really liked (laughs) ec comics (laughs) You know, Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> it's like, put those two things together and you get this. <laughs> that is, that's actually really good. But like, yeah, we, we were talking about, um, we've, we've talked about Candyman and I, I, Oculus is mm-hmm. up there too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm skimming through the list right now. There's also, God, there's The Ring. Mm-hmm. Like, I find the, mo- the movie The Ring so much more terrifying than this. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't know. I mean, I I guess again it kind of depends on how you want to base this list. Right. Like if if you're sort of like picking things that are that are embodying a moment and, you know, uh, being very zeitgeisty or have had a big influence on other films or just have that iconic thing about them, yeah, maybe you would want to put Poltergeist even closer to number one. Mm-hmm. But f- but for me personally, if I'm thinking just purely in terms of what scares me, uh, this would be close to like, uh, close to the end of the list for me. Yeah. You know, I think for a, what is considered a classic horror movie, mm. I am actually surprised how low it is. And that's not to say that I think it should yeah. be higher. I actually kind of don't mind the placement because... It's if you if you add the zeitgeisty element at, into its score, I think one thirty seven actually probably is pretty good. Because um, yeah, well, you're totally right. There are movies it's ahead of that are probably you can't I, you can't say objectively scarier, but yeah, yeah. probably qualify <laughs> as better horror movies. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this. All things considered, is probably a good place. I mean, I because I was expecting Poltergeist to show up in like the top twenty or something. It, it, that's the kind of list this feels like. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with you. My expectation was also, I don't know if you remember, but even at the opening of this episode, when you said, "Oh, we're doing Poltergeist," it's number one thirty-seven on our list. I, I think I said something like, "Wow, really." Mm. Because I I did expect it to break the top hundred at, at minimum probably break the top 50 right yeah yeah um just because i personally don't like it doesn't mean i don't understand why it has such a kind of a perennial position on everybody's lists mm. when they think about you know the best horror movies of the past however many years yeah i think this is one where there's a lot of nostalgia built into it i agree i think a lot of it comes from people of <laughs> shall we say People of a certain age, mm, yes, who who watched this like close to when it came out, or maybe a few years after, right. when they were really young, and it was kind of like the first horror movie their parents let them see, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it became like this very iconic, very terrifying thing when you watch it. You know, 
it came out in 82, and if you watched it in 88 and you were six years old or something. Right. Yeah. Like, I can see why you would find this terrifying if that's your memory of it. I'm trying to test it out. Um our friend Dave, Dave, who's who's uh, been on the Star Wars podcast that uh, Wes and I do, um, hmm. he has three young kids, and he's they're they're getting to that age where he's starting to show them the uh, some of these movies. Like he's oh shown them, he's they're they're all in on Terminator. Um, they love Gremlins, <laughs> so it's like they're right oh, in yes. that pocket. And yeah. and so I texted him, and I was like, "Have you shown them Poltergeist?" And he said, "I don't know. I think it's that it might be too scary." And I'm going to try and push him to do it because I want to see how they react. Because between the three of them, you've got an 11-year-old and like a 9-year-old and like a 6-year-old. So I think I think it's a nice a nice uh, smattering of ages to see how, how much this plays. I will say my bet on, on that is that the 11-year-old will be more scared yeah. than the like 8, 9-year-old and the 6-year-old. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Well, because I, I think when you hit that age, like, part of why the horror movies you see at that age stick with you is because you're old enough to understand why sure. certain things are scary. Sure. Yeah, I had never thought about that. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, right? Because when you're younger, like, maybe certain images, like, you see the, the Tim Curry version of it, mm-hmm. and you get terrified of clowns, just like the general category of clowns <laughs> not in this movie oh yeah <laughs> um yeah baby pennywise in this movie um but but that's more of just like a visceral reaction it's less of like a thoughtful reaction i right, feel like right. it's much more frightening when you're a little bit older and you sort of can absorb enough of the anxiety and the suspense that you start to understand why a thing is scary and it kind of sticks with you at that point yeah yeah yeah, I I I feel like this movie is maybe two clicks scarier than the most scary Steven Spielberg movie. You know, like it 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 never. <laughs> when you're watching a Steven Spielberg movie, you never feel like you're out of control when it comes to that stuff. It always feels like mm. there's there's a certain threshold that is not going to be surpassed as far as uh, scariness goes, with the exception of when the guy gets his heart ripped out in Temple of Doom. That's legitimately scary. But you know, <laughs> That is. That was, I remember that. You know what that, I, was pretty, that was pretty traumatizing. You know what I mean, though? Like, there's, there's this, certain, this certain comfort level of scary stuff that he never really goes beyond. And I think yeah. this has... Most of this movie is well within that threshold, and then the more Toby Hooper parts, if that's how we're going to divide this up, is where they <laughs> dial it up to maybe like 11 or 12. But it's only, it's not like a sustained uh, a sustained sequence of, well, I guess the last sequences, but it's, it's only like little bits and pieces, so it, it never really permeates the whole movie. It never really gets that scary. Um, and I think, yeah. I think overall, as much as I kind of think the middle is whatever, I think it's all worth it for the last 10 minutes. I think that last 10 minute sequence yeah, pretty great. is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting like thinking about the whole like the Spielberg aspect of it. There there definitely is I the things I keep wanting to say is it's like there's like a veneer mm-hmm. to what he does and 
I don't know if that's quite the right way to put it. Um, the other way I think about it is it's almost like this fairy tale sensibility. Yes, very much so, yeah. Yeah, where it's it's like even if things get dangerous and, and suspenseful and stressful, you kind of have this underlying feeling that you're... I don't know, it feels like you're watching a movie. Like... <laughs> stupid as that sounds like with the way the music works and the way the sets are i don't know you just feel like you're very much building up to that sort of fairy tale the the knight slays the dragon moment yes yeah yeah um what would you say this is a little off topic Mm -hmm. what in your opinion is the scariest steven spielberg movie Mm, the scariest well (laughs) I have I can answer that in two ways. Um, as a child, I think the uh-huh. steer, the scariest Steven Spielberg movie is probably Temple of Doom. I think that's for me where he's got the closest to letting the lid off of stuff because he was uh-huh. in his personal life he was in a pretty dark place. So I think he was you know <laughs> he was the straight laced guy who decided to stop shaving at that point. You know, um, <laughs> but as an adult. The scariest Steven Spielberg movie is uh, Saving Private Ryan. I have... Oh, yeah. I legit... I I am not making this up. Every now and then, I will... It'll just flash in my mind the sequence where Adam Goldberg gets killed by getting stabbed in the chest while he's fighting that dude in in like... Oh, God. It's like the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really visceral... Scene. yeah it's never it's it's it burned itself into my memory and it's just one of those scenes where every now and then i think about it and i'm just like really really traumatized by it yeah it's it's deeply fucked up what about you that's a good one <laughs> uh everybody gives me shit for this but in my opinion the scariest the scariest steven spielberg movie is et okay <laughs> look interesting it, it scared the shit out of me mm-hmm. as a small child. Wait, did you say scariest or worst? Scariest. Okay. I thought you said worst, and I was going to agree with you very, very uh, strongly. <laughs> Maybe worst, too. I refuse to watch it now as an adult. <laughs> I just, I fucking, I hated it. I hated every second of it. I walked out of the room crying. I was not not going to have it. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of those movies where when you're when you're young enough, certain things that they just are inherently scarier. Like for the longest time, the scariest movie sequence I had ever watched was the large Marge sequence from uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh yeah. I think we talked about this. Once. Yeah. Terrified. I had we, my mother taped it for me <laughs> off the TV. I made sure she cut that part out cause it was too scary for me. Oh, have a nice day. <laughs> Be sure and tell them large Marge sent you. <laughs> But yeah, there's there's a uh, I think the most interesting thing about about this discussion we're kind of having uh, and about these movies from this era, these Spielberg adjacent movies, is there is a certain feel to them that doesn't exist anymore. Like there's not even Steven Spielberg can really do it. Hmm. I, and I think that's what the nostalgic nostalgia movement of the last 10 years or so has been going after really they've been going after that 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 uh kind of warm and fuzzy 
supernatural feeling that you get from from these movies, uh, whether it's Poltergeist or uh, even Pee-wee is, is pretty weird and kind of surreal, hmm. um, or Indiana Jones or any of these movies. There's a certain a certain kind of aesthetic that just doesn't you don't really get anymore. Yeah, it's like the the closest thing that I think is probably the thing everybody thinks about when when they think of this now um, in that sort of nostalgia genre is Stranger Things. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, where it, it it is like a blatant homage to a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and the only way it can attain that is by putting the setting back in that era. Right, right, yeah. Like, it, it can't get that tone right. It can't get the visuals right. It can't get the sort of walking that line. I think maybe this is part of it, where it's sort of like, like you were talking about with our friend Dave, how how young is too young to watch something like Poltergeist? Mm-hmm. It, it's very debatable. Right. You know, there's sort of a wide berth. Is, is it eight years old, nine years old, 12? Um, and I think Stranger Things kind of hits that that as well, where it is like the main characters are kids, the central concerns are like primarily concerns about growing up and fitting in and being a kid. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's characters that might die and there's scary stuff. There's monsters. Um, right, right. So how old should a kid be bef- when they're allowed to watch something like Stranger Things? And I think that sort of poltergeist falls very much into that category of it's like in 1982 it was they they wanted to rate it r Mm. and they ended up rating it i think what pg or pg-13 no pg baby pg-13 didn't exist there you go and and so that's why you get all the face ripping stuff it's great (laughs) <laughs> but now when when you think about, you know, in, in the year 2020, 2021, like mm-hmm. what, what does a rated PG 13 or PG movie look like? A PG movie is a lot more limited, I think, in what yeah. they're allowed to show than what they used to be. So you can't quite toe that line of like, are you old enough to watch this or, or, or is right. this a little too far for you? Like we, yeah. we kind of don't have that section anymore. Yeah. I, I don't think um, if this movie was made today, exactly how it stands, I think, I don't know if this would be a PG. Th- I think this would be just barely PG 13. I, I, as, as, and I mean that like it should pro- it would probably be rated R uh, yeah. based off of just the gore alone. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a tough call, and that's w- one thing. I, I, I uh, if we, if we get to do the Friday the Thirteenth series, one of the things I'm looking oh, forward I to talking to. about is how weirdly conservative that series is, and how it huh. seems to be. It seems to be. Uh, it seemed to get more conservative as it went on, while also being cut down even more than it uh, uh, cut down way more than it was after the uh, than the first one so like the gore level is is constantly being cut back but also Mm. like the message of the movie is getting weirdly conservative as far as like the people who are being targeted and stuff it's it's a really interesting sex bad exactly yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a very interesting trend for for some of these slasher movies, where you ultimately end up. Well, this is a whole other conversation. We could talk about this. Yeah. We talk about Friday the Thirteenth. Anyway, uh, yeah. would you recommend Poltergeist? Uh, <laughs> again, like I feel like whenever you ask this question, I always hedge and have caveats. Um, if you were asking me to recommend it to somebody who maybe had kids, like slightly older kids, like mm-hmm. 10, 11, 12, um, and they were curious about horror movies and the person liked horror movies, I'd be like, yeah, show them Poltergeist. Mm. Um, for another adult, I would maybe say like, well, if you haven't seen it, it's worth yeah. seeing it so that you can pick up some of the pop culture references around it. But if mm-hmm. you don't care about that, then I'd skip it. Yeah, yeah. I would probably say the exact same thing. Yeah, I was thinking pretty much the exact <laughs> well, same thing. Well, I'm glad we're in agreement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to do it for Poltergeist, I think. Um, yeah. Next time I hit the randomizer, beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, boop. And we will be doing number. This is this is a fun. This is fun for me because we're doing Ooh. number one hundred and sixty-eight, which is a movie called Your Next. And oh. uh, if I don't count Wreck, because technically I had seen I'd seen Quarantine, and I think I might have seen Wreck before, but I wasn't totally sure. Mm-hmm. Your Next is the first movie we have done. I'm never mind. That's a lie. I was going to say it's the first movie we've done that I hadn't seen, but I just looked back at the list and I realized that I hadn't seen a girl who walks home alone at night. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Liar. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm try. I'm just trying to give people reasons to come back, you know. But <laughs> look, if they're not coming back for our shining personalities, then there's nothing we can do. That's true. That's true. Um, so yeah that's going to do it thanks guys thanks for checking it out if you want to give us a rating or review on iTunes or tell your friends if they're looking for something spooky to listen to in the post Halloween world if they want to keep Halloween going all year long keep Halloween in your heart you can listen to the Rotten Horror Picture Show we're here for you yeah thank you Amanda thank you Clay and we will see you guys next time bye everyone bye everyone